0: Welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series, the largest weekly leadership podcast globally. My name is Scott Miller, and I'm privileged to serve as your ongoing host and interviewer. You may know that just recently I wrote a new book called Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from our greatest minds. This is the first of a 10-volume series with HarperCollins where each year I curate 30 of our favorite podcast guests and I share from them, with their approval and permission, a transformative insight that most of them discuss during our podcast interview. Some of them, however, were insights that were shared perhaps just prior to or after the actual live taping And I'm able to shine Franklin Covey's platform and spotlight on 30 amazing minds from around the world. Love to have you pick up a copy of Master Mentors. And who knows, maybe today's guest might want to be in one of the coming volumes as well. Speaking of which, today we are honored to have tracked down the enormously in-demand and best-selling author Erica Dewan of right now the runaway bestseller, Digital Body Language. How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. Joining us with her two children under the age of three, probably running around somewhere in her New York City apartment from New York City is Erica Dewan. Erica, welcome to On Leadership.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Scott.
0: So where are the kiddos hidden this morning?
1: (laughs) Oh, well, luckily they are at school, which is a big relief. September uh, was a great month as we got kids back to school and life to a bit normal and and now I'm now working in an office instead of at home, which we all know uh, for working parents is a breath of fresh air.
0: It's very true. Erica, in addition to you and I sharing a lot of similarities and much of the same network, my wife and I also had three children under the age of five, all boys, I mean, technically she had them, right? But I was part of the process and I don't recommend having three boys um, in five years, but. September was like a, a, a gift to us, right? Because after a long summer at home, our boys go back to school, and three days into school, one of them tests positive. So all three are sent home in quarantine oh, wow. for five or for, for 10 days because they go to the same private school. That was a long 10 days after a three month period. So I'm delighted that your children are safe, healthy, they're in school, and you're back in an office. Uh, Erica, so delighted to join that you joined us today. I, I mean that's kind of funny you've been tough to nail down because literally you and your content and your speaking demand have been just explosive the last couple of years, but more so even since you launched the book several months ago. What I'd like to do today is we're going to learn a lot from you about digital body language. I'm going to challenge you on a couple of ideas respectfully. you can hold your own. But before I do that, I'd love it if you take a few minutes and spend some time kind of reintroducing yourself to the millions of listeners and viewers that may not recognize who you are yet. Perhaps they read your first book, Get Big Things Done. But talk about your journey and what led you now to what is this pretty significant spotlight on you for your current book.
1: Yeah. Well, I grew up as a shy introverted girl. My parents were Indian immigrants and we grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which meant At home, we spoke Hindi, so when I got to school, I had accented English, and I really struggled to find my voice. I remember in every report card from kindergarten through 12th grade, I often got great, really good grades, but every teacher said, I wish Erica spoke up more in class. One of the ways I was really able to find my voice was by deciphering other people's body language. I would watch the popular girls with their heads high, the cool kids slouching during school assemblies, And it really taught me, it's not what we say, it's how we say it. That really led to my fascination and expertise around communication, collaboration, and body language. Fast forward 30 years, I ended up uh, getting graduate degrees at MIT and Harvard, staying on as a researcher at Harvard Center for Public Leadership. And uh, about a decade ago, while many people were talking about the future of work, work often driven by millennials and technology, what I realized was that there was a new connected mindset. And it was a connected mindset that went far, far beyond our, our digital behaviors. I called this skill connectional intelligence. What we think of as emotional intelligence in the 90s, I really felt needed an upgrade. For a world where we're not just reliant on traditional body language and face-to-face offices anymore and my first book connect get big things done the power of connectional intelligence was all about giving us a new leadership playbook to be able to lead and collaborate no matter the distance but as i worked with team leaders executives through my consulting company over the last series of years helping them build the skills of connectional intelligence I kept hearing the same questions, questions like, why is there so much misunderstanding at work and how do we better connect with different ages and working styles? And what I found was that we needed a new rule book for not just body language, but the body of our language in a digital age. And that's what led me to develop the body of work of digital body language, which today in many ways is our playbook for how to lead in a digital in a hybrid world. Now, you know, I have been studying digital body language for years, but I had never expected it to be as relevant for any leader, any team member across every industry as it has been shaped by the pandemic. Uh, But what I've learned is that just like I was an immigrant to traditional body language as a child, today we are all immigrants to digital body language. And this is our moment to learn how to use it.
0: Erica, you're right, the book is absolutely a playbook, and you're perhaps one of the most in-demand keynote speakers in the world today because the, uh, the, the genius timeliness of the release of your book has hit so many organizations exactly in this sweet spot of pain. But what I like most about you already is Dr. Covey was very famous, our co-founder, of saying many wise things. One of them was, be a light, not a judge, be a model, not a critic. And I can't help but looking at you on camera right now for the for the podcast consumers that have chosen to watch this digitally, visually today. I'm looking at you, and you've obviously got an extraordinarily uh, a powerful camera on you. You've you've blurred your background. You've obviously very very intentionally decided what is your distance from the camera. You quite frankly, with all respect, looked lovely on camera, and you prepared for this. Before we get into some of the teachings in the book, you're modeling them right now. Talk about what you did this morning to prepare for this video interview to be a model of what it is you're also researching and writing about. Walk us through your routine on how deliberate your preparation was this morning.
1: Yeah, well, first and foremost, research shows that we make a first impression within the first seven milliseconds of someone meeting us. Now I like to say we have the first digital impression. Uh, when we meet someone else. I did a few things. First and foremost, I set up good lighting and a video background so individuals could see me and wouldn't be distracted. Secondly, uh, you know, before we got on, I was thoughtful of making sure I looked into the camera. We make eye contact about 30 to 60% of the time face to face. I recommend, especially when you're presenting on video, make eye contact, which means in the camera about 60% of the time. And last but not least, be present, focused on active listening. Uh, You know, you shared some great insights, Scott, about your family, and I was thoughtful of really listening to you and what you were sharing. And I think, again, more than ever, we have to continue to evolve the magic that happens in a room, even from a screen.
0: Well, I appreciate you modeling this and teaching this because as you look at you on camera right now, you can tell it's been very deliberate, right? You deliberately went to an office, you have great lighting, you have obviously a superior camera, you have blurred your background intentionally, and you've, you've calibrated your distance to the camera with some thought. I think, you know, 18, 24 months into our life being on these video meetings, some of us still are kind of phoning it in. So we'll talk more about that. What I'd like to have you do is kind of launch in and introduce us to our friends, Laura and Dave. Many of your stories in the book obviously have been disguised by name. I'm not sure if Laura and Dave are really Laura and Dave, but I want you to take some time to share that story and why that's so important as one of the opening stories in your book, Digital Body Language.
1: So, Laura and Dave have been going out for about three years. And one night, they get into a major fight exclusively by text message. Laura is angry, she's frustrated, it's been a few hours, and finally she's had it. So she sends Dave a text message back saying, so, R with an actual R, we, through, T-H-R-U with a question mark. Dave responds within about 30 seconds saying, I guess so, dot, dot, dot. For the next 48 hours, Laura grieves the end of their relationship. She tells some of her girlfriends, she wants to take off a day of work, a lot of tears. She looks at old photos. And then the next Monday comes around and at about 6 p.m. at night, there's a knock at her door and it's Dave. And she opens the door and looks at Dave and says, I thought you said we were through. And Dave says, I thought you meant we were through arguing and not as in you and me in our relationship. They had pre-planned a dinner that night. Now, that story really reminds us all that in today's world, what we say isn't always what we mean.
0: No, that's called dating a guy and dating a girl, right? But, but I love this story because obviously it was pithy, but I mean, it was so relatable, right, in all of areas of our life, personally and professionally. The book is chock full of pithy but funny stories like that that all of us can relate to. Erica, the crux of the book really centers around what you call these four laws of digital body language. The first is value visibly, communicate carefully, collaborate confidently, and trust totally. Great alliteration there. Let's take about a minute on each of these and have you just kind of unpack those. First, talk to us about what value visibly means.
1: Um, Well, in the past, so much of the ways that we valued others visibly was a head nod, a smile, a thank you in the office. Today, I like to say valuing visibly is about valuing our colleagues' time, inboxes, and schedules. It's about remembering, if we send a message saying, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday, and someone responds, yes, we may (laughs) not be valuing others visibly. A few things. If we're running meetings today, valuing visibly looks like starting every meeting with, here's what success looks like at the end. Here's how I'm going to engage all of you to participate. And if we all stay present, I'll end the meeting 10 minutes early. Valuing visibly also looks like acknowledging individual differences, introverts, extroverts, those that are digitally savvy and those that aren't. Even simple things like sending a thoughtful agenda two days before a meeting can help those introverts digest content before sharing and using whiteboards and chats to avoid turn taking can be helpful. And last but not least, Valuing visibly is about ensuring radical recognition. If someone stayed up all night to work on a deliverable for you and in the past they could see the relief in your face the next day in the office. Now, if they get a K period email or a THX, it doesn't feel like a thank you anymore. It's an acknowledgement you got someone's email. So taking the time to truly be explicit in your recognition ensures that you're valuing others visibly
0: four laws of digital body language first is value visibly next speak to communicate carefully
1: well you know we talked we really summed this up with the laura and dave example but communicating carefully is about ensuring you create unambiguous expectations and norms it's about simple things like ensuring and creating maniacal clarity in our messages I like to say that in today's world, reading messages carefully is the new listening and writing clearly is the new empathy. We don't write, we don't walk the talk. We don't talk the talk. We write the talk more than ever. So simple things like in an email, making sure you're thoughtful. If you're on the two line, you need to respond. If you're on the CC line, no need to respond. The subject line should answer, what do you need from the other person? And the body of our emails, we have to remember, should read like websites. People read them visually. Did we use bold, underline, headings? Did we give others exactly what they need? Or did we rush a message off without uh, creating clarity and instead causing brevity?
0: Okay, well, you just shamed me on that one, so I've got some work to do there. Third law of digital body language is collaborate confidently.
1: Yeah. Collaborate Confidently is really about designing and creating a culture of thoughtfulness instead of rushed groupthink behavior. In many ways, we've seen that in a digital and hybrid workplace, it's easy to reward the fastest person to respond to an email, the quickest person who jumps in on a video call, instead of really designing a team culture that prioritizes thoughtfulness over hastiness. Now, that could mean uh, that we are much more thoughtful about how different departments work together digitally and really having norms around how they interact with one another. Simple things. Instead of having a 30-person video call across teams where only about six people actually speak and participate and the rest of the individuals are multitasking, we have project team members that attend all the meetings. We have a quick email recap of action items shared with project advisors, the other 24 people, so that they can loop in or join But we're much more thoughtful about informing the right people in the right ways uh, avoiding a lot of uh, endless priorities or rushed behavior and really most importantly designing clear collaboration norms around what channels we use and when to again not create a culture of more connection or overload i like to say more intelligent connection I'll share a quick story that I think really sums up the importance of collaborating confidently. I know a CEO who used to run town halls. He would come into an office and use his gregarious body language and read a script. Now what he does is he always sends a video update with the business update, one week before his town hall. And his town hall is a video format and ask me anything format where employees at all levels are sharing questions in the chat. He's celebrating everything from work anniversaries to cross silo efforts, and then bringing his employees up in a TV show host like mentality to ask questions and have discussion. He said he never wants to go back to the pre-pandemic lecture. And I think it's just an example to show that if we use our digital tools more thoughtfully, we can collaborate much more confidently than we ever did in the past.
0: Oh, you can be assured that our CEO is gonna get a copy of this podcast because (laughs) I think he will benefit from that point as well. Uh, I digress. The fourth uh, body language law then would be to trust totally
1: Trust totally in many ways is the summation. When you value visibly, communicate carefully and collaborate confidently, you create a culture of total trust. But we have to remember that with the loss of tone and body language in our digital hybrid workplaces, we have to design ways to engage and build that trust. That involves really promoting that assume the best intent culture. If we get a message saying, can you send this right now in all caps, from a boss, instead of rushing to judgment, maybe assuming good intent or an email saying, why didn't you finish this with a question mark? We don't assume an accusatory thought. We uh, give others the benefit of the doubt first. Secondly, create virtual water cooler moments where you're regularly checking in. That could be at the beginning of team meetings, sharing wins or challenges of the week, or asking our colleagues intentionally to share one piece of bad news. They normally wouldn't want to share, but designing for that psychological safety. Now, I want to uh, close with a, a story that I think really will remind us all of the importance of trusting totally. I know a leader who runs a global team. She's based in New York and she has team members in London, Buenos Aires and Sydney, Australia. She found her colleague in Buenos Aires was not engaging often on video calls. At first she thought he was multitasking, then she thought maybe he's not as interested. Finally, she said, I should stop assuming, trust totally and check in. She sent him an IM and he wrote, I'm having such a hard time translating three different English accents when English is not my native language, an American, British and Australian accent. This really allowed her to check her bias. They started using closed captioning, recording calls, more actively use the chat and it made a significant difference. So more than ever, we have to remember not to assume others are okay, but check in and use the four laws to create open, vibrant cultures
0: superb example of how we can assume and our biases are that one thing is going on when we take the time and the intent to maybe uh, better understand, assume good intent and to dig deeper, we learn more. I want to pivot off the book for a second and have you teach us in real life. Your book came out about six months ago or so and I met you through a Zoom call. Uh, We are both privileged to have been invited to Marshall Goldsmith's, what he calls the MG100. And this is an invitation only group of people that are more like you and less like me—they are wildly accomplished, best-selling authors and people of enormous career success—and I find myself on every Monday morning in this password-protected Zoom room with a hundred plus of the world's most influential thought leaders. I mean, it is an amazing opportunity. I, 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 I'm, um, I'm reflective every Monday morning that I was invited to be part of this group, and. And I'm usually just listening and not talking, which is rare for me because the intellect and abundance and the, the sharing is, is, um, is just life-changing in this group. Six months ago, in a group of you know, four Zoom screens, you spoke. You were invited to speak. It was the day of your book launch and Marshall Goldsmith, being the abundant and generous person he was, invited you to talk about your book. And you are the one person that I chose to reach out to not because your book was launching, but because of how you show up on camera, the deliberation with which you took in terms of your lighting and your camera and your energy and your tone of voice. You don't remember that because we instant message in the chat pod, it took a few months to get you on camera because you are in demand. But you jumped out to me in not a sea of sameness, but a sea of remarkable people that are in many cases, household names throughout the world, Check your humility for a moment. Erica. when you choose to show up with 100 people on Zoom, why do you think you stand out?
1: I mean, first and foremost- Check your humility. Uh, All right, I'm gonna check my humility. I think uh, a few things are are practices that have always guided me. Um, Number one, authenticity. Uh, when we are communicating on our screens, uh, and I remember that moment, uh, I was much more focused on not what I was trying to sell, but what I really felt and showcase that to the group. I remember, Uh, starting that conversation by thanking everyone for how they showed up for me in that moment and the struggles and tribulations it took as a a working mom of two kids in the pandemic and as a researcher on digital collaboration to get the book out into the world. And I think that, um, you know, really using the screen as a place to have the same conversations I would have face-to-face. Secondly, Um, remembering that I'm not talking to a screen, I'm talking to people, and not forgetting the human touch of radically recognizing others uh, was important. And last but not least, uh, you know, again, remembering that we are in an amazing group of people every time we connect behind a screen. So I remember actively looking at the chat and calling out people, having one-on-one, using the parallel of the live screen and the virtual screen to connect. I think those are some of the things that I remember. But because this was a few months ago, Scott, can you also refresh me? What did you notice or take away from that key moment?
0: I think I noticed your energy. Uh, yeah. I didn't know if you were an introvert or extrovert. I knew nothing about you. I had not read your previous books. I was not aware of your contribution or your career. And I was captivated, I think, by your 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 generosity, your positivity. I was captivated at how deliberately you were kind of showing up. I mean, some people are always on mute, some people are off camera, some people are multitasking, and I just felt that you were in the moment and very present, and that struck me. I mean, it struck me because again, we all can sure. become complacent, Let's, can't we? That wasn't your only Zoom yeah. call that day, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think more than ever, this is a moment for all of us to flex new muscles. And I would argue that I've been practicing effective virtual communication for a long time. But what what we all have an opportunity to do right now is bring the vibrance and the magic of each of us in a room to the screen. And that may involve some practice, but the voice and inflection of our voice matters, looking into the camera matters, being thoughtful of our backgrounds, listening attentively to others. And and I think that if we can all use these moments, our daily Zooms, not as uh, just let's run with it, let's adapt to this, and then we can't go wait to go back to -to face-to-face, but actually as moments, to test and learn, and to grow as experts in virtual communication. It's going to allow us all to reach many more people than we ever could in the past.
0: Okay, the love fest is over. Now I want to challenge you. Uh, I really enjoyed the book. Uh, the book is chock full of very practical tips, and I'll be honest with you, as I was reading it, I found myself sort of being going, going back and forth with a, bit, a little bit of whiplash, as in, well, that's interesting. Oh, come on, seriously? And then, Well, that's valuable, but oh my gosh, get over it. Not you get over it, but you know, somebody else get over it. And here's what I struggled with, is you share a very practical example of people sending emails to others saying, I know you're really busy, but could you respond to this? Or I'm just elevating this back up to the top of your inbox. And I thought, "Yeah." yeah, I get about 15 of those a day and I don't take offense I don't Uh ghost the person. I don't school the person. I kind of, at some point, kind of thought, you know, grow up, people. I mean, welcome to life. Everybody is busy. I don't take offense at someone saying So, uh, they were very valuable tips, Erica. And what would you say to sort of the the seasoned guy in his 50s that's, you know, been an officer and I've had a 30-year career? At some point, I think we're living in such a world where everything is a microaggression and everybody has to be thoughtful about what they say. And at some point, it's just like, maybe just assume good intent and don't take offense to every exclamation point or if someone uses the word best at the end versus thanks or THX versus the word thanks. At some point, is there some some responsibility in the receiver not to read into everything?
1: I think one of my key goals of digital body language was to remind us all that, number one, we are not all the same, And but similar to different traditional body languages, wherein, uh, you know, in the U.S., we may handshake, in Japan, we may bow. We are in different foreign countries when it comes to our digital styles. I think the two takeaways that I hope everyone gets is, number one, don't get emotionally hijacked if you may react differently to a message. So as you you mentioned so eloquently, Scott, for some research shows, uh, when you send an all caps message saying, okay, for some that feels like shouting, for others it can feel like uh, excitement and for others it can feel like urgency. And on one end, we have to be maybe a bit thoughtful about it and on the other end, we have to assume good intent. Secondly, I think that the, the other factor that I think is important is to remember that even as a seasoned executive, to remember that your power level does impact how your digital messages yeah. are received. Yeah. I, again, I, I shared lots of examples of the all caps message where for you it could just be someone's rushing or on a plane and typing fast. But if you send that to a very junior report that doesn't know you well, that maybe joins your organization virtually, it can feel much more alarming. So taking taking a second to first assume good intent, as always the table stakes norm, but then secondly, remembering to be thoughtful in how we type and maybe ask ourselves when we're sending our message, are we thoughtful of the power and trust dynamics to make sure that is it is received in the right way on the other side is what I hope those that are like okay this is crazy we have so many different language norms i hope that they'll simply remember uh, and take 10 seconds to think about before they send their next email
0: nicely said i, I didn't take exception with actually anything in the book i just started to realize wow uh, i have i've been judged a lot more than i recognize and you're right the power differential to me it might be like you know just. You know, a no-brainer to somebody else. They might become fixated on, well, the chief marketing officer said this. What does he really mean? Is he mad at me? Or does she not like me? Or is she dismissive of me? And, and I, I'm going to guess as an officer in the firm, I wouldn't, I'm no longer, but I was for a decade, that I probably dismissed with what comes with that for many decades. And I was yes. I was reading your book, I, I thought back to my first week at Franklin Covey 25 really? years ago. Like, I went from the front line to the C-suite. I'm one week into the job, Erica, my phone rings on my desk, and up on the screen, back in the days where we had offices, desks, phones, and screens, it said Stephen M. R. Covey. This was Dr. Covey's son, who was the president and CEO. And I did this.
1: (laughs) I stepped back, and I
0: did not answer the phone. I like. I did not take the chairman's call. Stephen and Mark Levy yeah. has gone on to be a famous worldwide author, because I was so intimidated. To your point, the power differential. Right. He was calling me to welcome me to the firm and congratulate me on being appointed to a new committee, and I was so overcome that he was calling me. I didn't know what to say. Yeah. And so, I, in many ways, you know, your book is such a great primer on understanding power differential and understanding what might be an innocuous exclamation point or dot dot dot. Or question might be a, have a perhaps a bit of a humiliating or very intimidating impact on someone who doesn't have the same political clout or the knowledge of the organization like you do.
1: Absolutely. So if you are in a power level, I think one is take a moment to think before you type. Uh, even think before you emoji. We can talk about that and and be thoughtful of being clear, not brief. I'll never forget a leader I know. She was on a video call. She said something of the likes of let's iterate on this deck a bit more. What she really meant to say was let's add two more bullet points, but her team took it out as a big work directive because they couldn't read her cues. They spent 40 hours on 10 new slides. Imagine how demotivated they felt when it turned into two bullet points. And on the other end, if you are that team member that's maybe getting getting this ambiguous message, don't be shy, ask for clarity. And if you're seeing a consistent challenge, Pick up the phone. Picking up the phone is worth a thousand emails and can often reduce a lot of that confusion.
0: Erica, as we end our time here, give me some rapid bullet points. What are the things that now, as we're living in a very confusing world, right? We're working at home. We're working back in the office. We're working in a hybrid. Some days on, some days off. Jobs are now everywhere. The great resignation. We're using Skype and Zoom and Teams and you name it, whatever. I I, I can't now have a telephone call. I literally now am addicted to Zoom. I have Zoom by choice because to me, it's less taxing, actually, because I want to see your inflection. I want to see your body language. So for me, I don't take phone calls anymore. It has to be on Zoom. Give us five or six things not to do, whatever whatever the platform is, Teams or Skype or whatever, four or five things to stop doing and maybe Mm -hmm. four or five things to start doing. And it could be on email or text Things that you find create the biggest cultural cultural connection and the things that perhaps destroy cultural connection.
1: Yeah, so let's start with what not to do. And then we'll talk about what to do. I think first and foremost, when it comes to what not to do is to avoid being in a rush all the time. Our digital shift has caused us to often speed up everything. But this has created cultures of rushed behavior and groupthink versus true thoughtfulness. Take the time to allow people to digest ideas on a video call. In the office, it was completely okay to stroke your chin or furrow your eyebrows when you were thinking about something. Now, if we don't hear from someone on a video call, we think they're on mute. And uh, we end up rushing people and don't get the best out of a group discussion. Secondly, don't forget to show gratitude. Uh, It could be at the beginning of a meeting in that quick email take the time to give credit where it's due. I've seen even simple things where a leader will CC all the team members that were in that group uh, project that may not have been on that traditional back and forth with the client to acknowledge them and celebrate or spending three minutes at the beginning of a meeting to give shout outs or celebrate team successes. And last but not least, uh, don't multitask. Again, with the rush of information, try to stay present. And we talked a little bit about that today, but that could mean simple things like having 20-minute meetings and 50-minute meetings instead of 30 and 60-minute meetings, giving everyone that mental health break of the end, but starting on the time, really sharing what success looks like to get everyone on the same page. So, those are just some examples of what we should avoid doing to really make sure we're much more clear, thoughtful and driving inclusion. Let me share three best practices of what we should keep doing or we should continue doing more than ever. Number, number one, first and foremost, don't be afraid to discuss the differences. There are those that are digital natives and really thrive in these environments. And Scott, I think you're a great example of really using the power of Zoom. And there are those that are still struggling. They feel more reluctant using new technology. So talk about the the differences, bring people up to speed, have a regular practice at the end of your meetings to have everyone share what went well, what could be improved. Otherwise, what you're currently doing just becomes the norm and you may not know or gather best in class feedback from others. Secondly, communicate your expectations. Let others know how they should best communicate with you. If it's complex, maybe say we're gonna do calls, but they're 20 minutes, not 30 minutes. Agendas are sent before and there's always an email summary recap. If it's low complex, just IM me. don't set up a meeting. Second urgency, do you need it in five minutes or five days, give others what they need to ensure that they can reach you. Uh, Maybe you're a person who likes texts so let them know if you need it in an hour text me but if it's not urgent I'll get back to you in 24 hours by email. And last but not least really intentionally create water cooler moments, regardless of the distance and regardless of the channel. That could be making sure you had sh- you have shared reflection time in your regular team staff meetings that allow everyone to share what they learned or where they need support that week, or have dedicated time to say in a group chat discussion, if you have a question or thought that comes after the meeting, don't hesitate to share, with, share it with me there and I'll make sure to get back to you or make sure to add it to our agendas in our one-on-ones. When we are much more intentional about using our time, both one-on-one and in group water cooler moments, I think we can use this moment to not adapt to our new normal, but I would say create a better normal where we're not reverting back to the past, but we're changing how we collaborate forever. So those those are those are a quick summary of the three things not to do and three things to do.
0: Erica, thank you for that. Uh, Take a risk and talk about what should be be the standard of coming on camera, acknowledging that everyone's in a different circumstance, everyone has a different home situation, roommates, townhomes, apartments, cabins, less lovely, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, Like you, I'm on Zoom all day long with internal and external colleagues. Like you, I typically have a keynote a day where I'm giving a keynote to 20 people or 800 people. And increasingly, it seems to me like of, you know, when there are 600 people, you have seven that come on camera. And it's really tough to speak to the same seven people for 45 minutes. Do you have any declarations on, we all got dressed and came to work work for our careers. Why can't we get dressed and come on camera? I'm sure it's more complicated than that. Do you have some guidance on what should be the standard? What should be the expectation for being on camera versus off camera?
1: Well, now that we're 18 months in, I, I think that I have a different answer than maybe three months into the pandemic. The new dressing up is having a good ring light, a simple, clean and clear webcam. So if you have not already spent $20 to $50 on a good webcam and ring light, it makes a significant difference in how you show up and i would argue it is the new executive presence secondly when you are engaging with others remember to use the power of the chat tool to ask them to share to avoid turn taking uh, we are part of a collective room and i think we can use the new modalities that we have to show up well and allow others to to share and engage with us. And last but not least, I think when we show up on camera, we have to think more like TV show hosts than office hosts. A TV show host has always had to have a clear agenda. They set up success up front. they call on people, they cut people off if they're going too long and they summarize what they heard. And if you think like that TV show host, I think we'll all thrive much more in our video meetings today and, and make what was magic in a room happen for anyone, anywhere in our modern workplace
0: today. Erica Dewan, you're enormously credible. You're also very likable, and you have a great presence on camera, not by accident, by obviously a lot of practice and deliberation and caring about the people you meet with. Obviously, you're there not just for your own brand, but to add value to those that are engaged with you on camera. The book is Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. Tell us what's next on your horizon.
1: Well, before I share what's next, I just want to thank you, Scott. You have role modeled valuing visibly and communicating carefully in many ways. You are helping us all build a community that will allow all of us as leaders and team members to grow our skills in modern leadership today. So I want to acknowledge- Oh, you you say
0: that to all the hosts. You say that to to everybody. your (laughs) new
1: book. Um, But, um, you know, what's next for me is I want to create a revolution where in movement, where um, just like we all spent years building a muscle with books and courses on traditional body language, this is the moment that we all must master digital body language. So look out for me, not only for new content training programs, learning uh, that will allow all of us as leaders and team members to build successful uh, cultures of high performing digital body language. And, And also I think what's next for me is to continue to work with wonderful leaders like you and, and help us all think about how do we elevate um, new research around digital collaboration and inclusion. So that's that's what I'm up to. And you feel free to check out the book and find me online if you wanna learn more.
0: Erica, you have geniusly claimed the moment. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you. You are an enormous demand. Your keynote schedule is the envy of every author in the world. Thank you for taking the time to invest in our audience today. Franklin Covey is honored to provide our platform to you. Look forward to seeing you back again in the future. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you back here next week for a new amazing guest on Franklin Covey's On Leadership.